Welcome and thanks for listening. My name is Christian Buckley, and you're listening to the Collab Talk podcast. In this episode, I'm talking with Tigran Petrosian, co-founder and president of Super Annotate, on one of the often overlooked aspects of artificial intelligence solutions within the enterprise, the need to train your data. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Collab Talk podcast, where we discuss the convergence of technology, business productivity, and collaboration culture. My guest today is uh, Tigran. Uh, so Tigran is the co-founder and president of Super Annotate, and we'll hear about that in a minute, and an expert on AI-driven data annotation and machine learning. So welcome, Tigran. Yeah, great. Great to be here, Christian. Well, we're talking today, uh, I think this is a great topic. It's an important one that uh, I find myself trying to explain to people that are excited about all of the announcements of products and services. Everything is, has AI attached to it. Um, three, four years ago, everything had blockchain attached to it. Then it was cloud before that. <laughs> so it was the latest, greatest things. But I think one of the most often overlooked aspects of the AI conversation is about training your data and the importance of that that data. So we're going to get into that as a topic. Maybe we can start with your background and and tell us about Super Annotate, what you're doing there, and uh, what you guys what you do. Yeah, yeah, uh, for sure. So uh, I'm originally coming from Armenia. It's a Eastern European small country. I was from childhood. I was very much uh, obsessed with math, physics, tech. And eventually got into Switzerland to do my master's, then PhD in biomedical imaging side of physics. Mm. So from that side, I could clearly see the applications of computer vision in biomedical imaging side. And that was getting me very fascinated about uh, what's coming, especially in radiologists' side, how AI will help them to get better diagnosis. And um, instead of just replacing their job, basically helping them do their job much better and more accurate. Uh, at the same time, while I was doing my PhD, my brother, which was my co-founder, um, he was doing his PhD in machine learning and image segmentation. And his tech that he was building uh, was at that point the best of identifying objects to the edges in the images. And um, interesting enough, he got quite some acquisition offers of his tech to be applied in some of the biggest companies. Um, so that kind of triggered us to combine our forces, drop our uh, PhD programs in in Europe. I was in Switzerland. My brother was in Sweden. That kind of uh, led us to kind of drop out and start our own company, Superannotate, where our goal was to really kind of build high quality, very accurate training data for computer vision at scale. And as we started and eventually started to grow, we understood that this is a much broader opportunity here. It's not just on image data, but on videos, on text data, on LiDAR type of data, on audio. So it's very broad. Now machine learning is pretty much expanded on all types of unstructured data to be labeled, managed, versioned, uh, analyzed, understood in order to improve the model performances. 
So this is where we expanded to becoming this one in all solution for all data needs of the machine learning companies. The part that mostly not talked about, we see the magic of AI, but what's behind it is the data is trained on and we decided to become that data company for AI uh, to build those data sets, but also help data science teams to make sense of it. Well, that's one of the things that, again, what I find myself explaining to people that go and look at ChatGPT and some of the other tools that are out there, um, and and they, they they there's great memes that are out there about like the the showing kind of the uh, the adoption cycle of it, and that, that everybody's excited about the hype cycle, I guess, and then they kind of realize, hey, what what are these results? What's what are all these AI hallucinations that I'm seeing? Or what is this actually? And then when they start understanding more about how it actually works, how to structure while it uses the natural language, a lot of these tools, you still need to be thoughtful and structure your queries um, to get more accurate results and understand the data that you're accessing. So with the public platforms, uh, you know, a lot of the, the libraries like ChatGPT data is pulling. It's it's like a couple of years old. It's not going out there looking at live data. So when you start looking at companies that are creating uh, what I call enterprise solutions, Microsoft is a, an example with their mm -hmm. co-pilot solutions, where I think what's going to be powerful about that is that they're looking at creating data tapping into their Microsoft's graph API and accessing you as an enterprise, you know, a uh, uh, near real-time data of the, of the data that's within your organization. So going and doing queries using, uh, uh, you know, the, the AI query capabilities uh, in Copilot is going to be much more accurate for that internal information It'll still have, if it's accessing stuff out on the internet, it'll still have those barriers, but it's, it's going to be incredibly powerful. So my first thought was looking at what you guys do is that, you know, any organization that has massive amounts of data that wants to enable it, it, it it's, it's almost like a, 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 the way that I always describe it is, you know, at working in like data warehousing worlds, like it seemed to be over the last 20 years that the number of of uh, database admins just kind of disappeared. And we got so excited by oh, like search will just go and find this. And it's like, but there still needs to mm -hmm. be that library sciences person that's helping organize, preparing the data. And that's even more true, it's equally true for AI. You have to be thoughtful about your, your data. So like what's what's the, the, the typical client in this scenario that you have, like that your company works with? And how do you help them organize and train that data? Yeah, that's a pretty good description about where things are and where it's going. Uh, specifically, when it comes to large language models and eventually, of course, not only textual data, but uh, visual data, video data, 3D volumetric data. So we're kind of tackling all those different types of data. Uh, but the main principle is the same. Basically, all those large companies, small, mid-sized companies, in order to build your ML, you need this data to be labeled, managed, understood in order to make your models better and better. And this is where we come in. We help you to build those data, understood, managed, versioned, and then that helps you to understand what to label next, what helped you to improve your model performance. 
for chat GPT use case, uh, of course, that's kind of, uh, I mean, each data type can be different. I mean, for example, for text, text data that brought all this, uh, you know, um, this uh, vector embedding space that enabled this transformers to really help to uh, build those large models. There, um, the idea really is a little bit different than with visual data. We work a lot with visual data, with text data. So with visual data that we work extensively, for example, in autonomous vehicles, you need to identify what's in the street, uh, for autonomous car to drive around where mm -hmm. pedestrians, where the lanes, this is a huge application, or you have an autonomous drone or, um, you know, you want to get an analytics from social media, understand the content, moderate content. This all are based on some AI, whether it's a build on large language model or just some visual models for, uh, like neural networks, convolutional neural networks. Um, this all required data to be uh, trained on. And then this is where we come in. Well, there's a lot too. I, so I just for transparency here. So I'm a, um, on the advisory board for a, a startup called uh, Reveal It TV. And so they're, they're looking at, I, I don't know if, you, if there's, you know, overlap, or it might be actually a good introduction for you um, to uh, Gary Smith, the CEO there. Um, but they're, they're looking at video content and capturing, you know, and identifying every object on every frame in in video, whether it's pre-recorded or even in live mm -hmm. television, being able to capture that real time. You know, people don't understand. It's like the traditional marketing, one of the limitations of video, which you know, look, we all know that the the world is moving towards video, moving away from a lot of the written word, going to that visual content, and it's certainly you know changing the way that we're consuming TV. Now, I'm I, I'm not trying to sound like a pitch man for reveal it, but I am on the advisory board, so I maybe a little bit, but for it's sure. but you think of what that opens up to being able to uh, to to identify every person, every object in every frame of the video, what that opens up to marketing capabilities, to be able to go in and um, to, to, uh, uh, you know, to, to edit that, that content, to be able to search and find very specific results uh, based on your query. I mean, that's just a, a tremendous amount of, you know, of processing of the, the video content, but then you still have to organize that data in a way that can be useful so you still it, it, it's mm -hmm. not just that you go in and identify what those things are you still then have to organize that data to be able to utilize that it, it's kind of like um you look at any uh, um uh presentation layer like a power bi so be able to go in and i'm always uh you know thrown off if you, if you sit and i'm not in any by any means like a power bi or tableau expert mm -hmm. But you have people that are really good at using those tools. They make it deceivingly simple looking to go in and just grab the data and do this. And then you can create these visualizations without understanding the amount of effort to get it structured in a way that you can then go and build those visualizations. And AI is much the same way. It's not just about the raw data. Like you, There are steps in between mm -hmm. to prepare it to be able to be useful. 
Exactly. And this is a, such a perfect example where machine learning, computer vision is really enabling such an amazing capability of making sense of the video frame by frame, understanding what's going on. It's not just even the frames, but the relationships between the frames, objects being tracked from between frames and in imagining what one can do that it for different industries use cases is just mind blowing. But uh, also this brings a very interesting point, right? You brought about uh, the data and sometimes we see that magic of AI, whether it's this use case or chat GPT use case, right? And it's so easy to mind, mind blow people on seeing what it can do, but it's also even more mind blowing once you start understanding what's behind it. I mean, of course, um, if you, if, I like this comparison of, you know, magicians doing some tricks and sometimes you're so mind blown and like, how did he do that? Or she do that. And then, uh, once you understand once what's behind it, how he did it, because there's so many YouTube videos that explain these tricks. It's not like, oh my God, this is so simple. At the same time, you're not like, oh, that's not magic anymore. The magic then becomes that how you had that creativity to build that once you understand what's behind it, that becomes even more magical. I think the same is true with an AI. And once you kind of go a couple of steps deep down and understand how this works and understanding all how all that knowledge was accumulated over decades on top of each other until we came here, that is just so fascinating to me. Yeah. That and uh, the, the both factors, what it does and what's behind it. So what's behind it, of course, as we talked about, is heavily relying on data and how you set these neural networks, how you train them, how you version those data sets, how you manage. And then, of course, uh, the magic is the output as well. Yeah, I was... Uh, so. Uh... I'm trying to remember the year 2004, 2000, I think it's 2005. Uh, I was consulting for a company where we deployed and built out a chat technology for support for a large support mm -hmm. organization. And, and we got strong feedback, people like positive as, as much as you can. That was still early on before people hated the, uh, the call tree, chatbot type experience that we all get like angry at now like what get me to the human come on um, <laughs> yeah. but it was you know the people didn't understand the amount of work that went in and early on there wasn't the, mm -hmm. the ai component it wasn't learning anything it was only responding to what we had pre-programmed in if mm -hmm. we didn't have a response in there like it didn't have that that response it would give the generic yeah answer and so we're constantly adding on to that to now where i went and built a uh using microsoft power platform and i built a a simple chat bot and uh and how it was able to use just simple prompts and then go and use of course the scale of the internet to go and learn from that and how i could put you know i put like three phrases in that's all i use to train it but it was able to go and look at other examples. And I put in slang words, like asking for, I built a, uh, like a, a vacation request 
process for an internal. Mm -hmm. And, but I would use wording like I need some time off or I need to get out of here next weekend. And it would mm -hmm. understand all of those variations. So it was able to pick up on all of that based on those, those libraries and learn and, and, and mm -hmm. train itself on those models. I mean, that is just incredible. And that's where it does seem like magic. But when you, as you say, you go under the covers, you start looking at the mechanics of, of how it, it, it works. Um, it, there's less mystery and more of a realization of, well, here's how we need to continue tuning it. We need to continue adding to this. Yeah, exactly. And this brings also to another very interesting topic, right? As you, for example, interact with chat GPTs or BARS or other kind of uh, large models, it's kind of starts to learn from your previous prompts, uh, what you've asked, what you've done, and then try to adjust its answer. It's basically adjusting learning along the way. And this brings to the more interesting topic about how this can develop longer term, right? Because a lot of issues come with data security. You don't want to give all your data to one company because basically whatever you ask the large language model, it becomes, it learns on top of it. And their, your answers may be the property of someone else because it will be basically uh, heavily um, be based on others asking similar questions and your data that you put there will influence their answers. So the big question is, okay, how we you make your own models and how companies, enterprises build their own proprietary models that are mm -hmm. based on their own data that can have a lot of uh, basis from those large language models, but at the same time, very much fine-tuned on your own data. Mm -hmm. This is a very interesting, important direction where this is taking on right now. And again, this heavily involves on how you respond to prompts, how you uh, use your own data sets, your own expertise on uh, correcting the answers to those prompts on your own data that yeah. can help further improve your model for your specific use case. This, just this to think a, about it like... For, I, I was just yeah, going to use the ahead. example of, you know, where, where Microsoft, I think Microsoft that had that released their AI and within like 24 hours... Um, the, the internet, all the people like throwing questions that had, was it Microsoft? Was it, was it Google? Samsung? I think Samsung yeah. had an issue with, it became like a racist um, AI. It was like throwing out like yeah. garbage because it was learning so quickly, but taking as people were trying to, you know, pervert it to trying to, you know, throwing a lot of garbage at it. And so that's, I think one of the fears that like you, when you think about it within the enterprise you know, what security, what safeguards do you put in place? What kind of, you know, uh, uh, governance do you put around mm -hmm. that process to make sure that it's learning the right things in the right way? Yeah, exactly. And we're in our early steps on that. Uh, the same way, like when uh, early on the internet was getting started, of course, for example, if someone would say, hey, pay online with your credit card, uh, it was crazy, right? How I can put my credit card information on the internet. But of course, as things uh, started to develop and a lot of uh, systems has been built to ensure that this is safe. The same thing will happen now with those uh, systems, this uh, AI, chat GPT type of applications where 
the way the same way you put your credit card information to the internet the same way you can use any kind of data you want to interact with ai and be safe about your data your model being yours and not being abused by someone else yeah we're just in early steps i just want to kind of put this thought maybe controversial thought into the space that ai is not a threat i mean you can think about a lot of issues that may come with it but a lot of safeguards will be built and a lot of issues that uh, which are very reasonably being uh, said they will be eventually resolved because whenever there's a problem that's the ingenious part of human uh, mind right there will be a solution Mm -hmm. and uh, I strongly believe that that's going to direction that's going to go. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, I completely agree too. It's, it's a, um, well, it, it, I, I, as in parallel, I was thinking of like, again, comments around uh, like blockchain technology and, you know, and thinking of that from the currency and digital currency, as people are talking about, oh, look at the, the, the bad things that have happened. It's like, well, well, yeah, but then you're, you're, not educated on what's happened with with paper money and all the bad things that happened with with you know fiat currency yeah um, you know it, it it far outscales the negatives that have happened with digital currency but i think it's 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 a parallel for for this like anything you know technology is new it takes time to adjust um, people learn to uh, abuse it and just as rapidly we learn to close those loopholes and mm -hmm. and strengthen harden that that technology so but i think it, it, I, again a lot of the examples out there so a lot of the opinions from journalists and just people commenting out there are around the consumer grade solutions and tools and there are big differences when you look at the enterprise um so uh, you know like I used the example earlier, like it be, might be an, a closed and enterprise solution that is able to, uh, you know, maybe work with a company like yours to prepare that data for consumption through these tools that also leverages the the external, the internet, uh, and and all the the publicly available uh, uh, libraries of, of data that are out there, but it's going to be much more secure. It's much more going to be much more relevant for that internal data once companies start organizing themselves that way. And then in real time as content is being created. Again, I'm, I work in the Microsoft ecosystem, so I'm aware of what they're mm -hmm. doing with the graph and with uh, things like you know, Microsoft Syntex, where mm -hmm. it's, it's looking at um, you know, ingesting data and setting up uh, so that as it's ingesting data, it's mm -hmm. creating the metadata and the rest of the fields that are necessary to be then utilized by the AI tools that are out there that it just, it's a, it's a different way of like, I, I came up through the, the SharePoint community that in the ranks there and where everybody were always joking that SharePoint's not a database. It's like, it, except when it's used as a database and it is and there's a lot of content that's out there um but we just need to have a uniform way that we are change the way that we are ingesting the content wherever it's coming from uh and being able to better utilize this new set of tools mm -hmm.
So yeah, I, exactly. How, how are you working with? I mean, so is is the most of your customers um, now is super annotated? Is it, it, it enterprises looking to do that? Do you work in the uh, you know in the education realm? Do you work kind of across across all industries or what? What is mm -hmm. that that customer experience like in working with? Yeah. That? So basically, our customers are uh, teams that are building machine learning data science teams, AI teams, whether they're part of the big enterprises or uh, like big funded companies or even startups where sometimes we help in early stage to kind of grow with us. The way we work or help our customers is okay. Um, it's kind of a kind of a very quick start to start to build some model. Let's say you have maybe a simple, hundred images or a few samples of text. Let me kind of train my model a little bit, see what is comes out. And then once the, our customers see that, okay, there is some opportunity here to grow. This is where we come in and say, Hey, let, let, let us help you to scale now. Okay. You have hundreds of thousands to millions of data. Let us help labeling it manually, automatically. Let me help you to manage this data. Let me give the right analytics, visualization techniques to understand where your model fails or improves. Or under, you, uh, we help you understand what you can label next to improve your model. This is where, where we come in, whether you're part of the large enterprise or just the AI company building a solution for some enterprises. This is where we help. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it can span from companies like uh, you know, Bosch or, uh, uh, you know, uh, Samsung's or uh, IBM's of the world to really uh, teams that are really late stage funded or early stage funded startups. Well, increasingly, it'll be every industry, it'll be every size company that's that's looking at this. I, I, I don't think it's an overstatement uh, that those people that have made, they're much smarter than me that have made statements about that they think that this is the the biggest wave in technology since the, you know, uh, since the internet and the creation of the PC. I mean, it's just going to be tremendous impact. And I'm also one of these people, I'm not the doom and gloom that, that looks at the jobs that'll be destroyed by mm -hmm. it. I think it'll create much more than it, exactly. uh, than it replaces, not destroys. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, it's interesting that in 2016, when it was super new uh, about AI and uh, the early developments, I was invited to give a TEDx talk in, in Switzerland. And there was specifically my, my topic, will basically AI replace your job and whether you should be afraid about it. Yeah. And uh, it was it was interesting to think about it. At that time, it was more about biomedical imaging and how it's helping the diagnosis and how this can help. Uh, to make it better for uh, doctors to do better decisions. Yep. And now it's everywhere. Every single, single company, every single company, every single use case. If you don't have an AI strategy, you should be very worried about your existence in the next five to 10 years. Yeah. 10 years ago, uh, I was speaking at uh, um, a conference. It was uh, Microsoft Ignite, which was the first one in mm -hmm. Chicago. So what was that 2012, 2011? Anyway, uh, and uh, it, on the topic that cloud 
and it was the exact same statement you just made about the cloud and people were afraid like what's going to happen to jobs mm-hmm. um, by moving yeah. away from on-prem environments and and so you know uh, uh, clearly the opportunities outpaced the negatives mm-hmm. uh, the the shrinking of those roles but uh yeah we i i, I just look at this as a tremendous growth opportunity for companies and for professionals IT pros, developers, non-technical business mm-hmm. personnel, but they it, it, again, it, it behooves us to understand how the technology works. Uh, you yeah. know what guardrails, what safeguards need to be in place within the enterprise. Um, but I, I, I think you know having some basic understanding of those pieces is going to mm-hmm. move the learning forward much more quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Another great example is like, I think, I don't know, 50, 60 years ago. I don't know what's the right word in English. There were so many people who were just typing on this machines, right? Like a lot of noisy machines. Yeah. Uh, um, And of course, at that time, if someone would tell them, hey, in the future, you don't even need to type. You can even say things and computer will understand your language and type it itself. Yeah, people would but, get crazy and say, "Hey, there's so many jobs will be destroyed. So many people are doing this. What's going to happen?" Right? It will. It would imagine how much panic it would create with so many large populations. But yeah, I mean, things worked out. I I often remark at how many things like technologies in like Star Trek, like we're getting close to or that we already have. Like, obviously, the teleportation we're still working on that. I'm waiting for that one. Um, but uh, you're like the universal translator um, instead of it having it up on like your, your chest is a little badge that you just tap on and mm-hmm, understand mm-hmm. these languages. You know, we have our phones. And mm-hmm. in fact, I was just sharing an experience where uh, this, this morning talking with somebody on my team of, about how uh, I was waiting in line. Where was I? It just uh, at uh, not a grocery store, but like a box store, electronic store. And there was a woman who was spoke no English was Spanish. And this young kid at the register just pulled up his phone and, and uh, typed in and what he needed to communicate with her and did the English Spanish translation via the phone back and forth. It was awesome. Yeah. So it, it was very quick. So we're, we're very close to just being able to speak into the device and, and to do that. Um, when you talk about, you know, manual, you know, in Star Trek, it's the, you know, computer, Hey, do this. Um, and we're very close to that. In fact, I'm driving in my car, you know, I'm hands-free. I can, you know, say my phone's name, which I won't say. So she doesn't wake up, um, Mm. and, you know, go do this task, create a task, which is linked to my desktop, to my task Mm. list, um, set appointments, set reminders, all those things. So, um, we're, we're rapidly getting to that point, but I agree with you. There were, there were, um, you know, look, I, I got into tech 30, almost 33 years ago. And mm-hmm. so there were those, uh, uh, you know, typing pools. There were the, the um, desktop uh, 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 computing services where you could, you know, tap into groups of people to go and do that. But a lot of work was sitting down in, computer, in computers, typing things out, printing them, handing them off to people. And, you know, it, it's... It's amazing how much the world has changed. I just wrote a check for the first time in about a year. 
because <laughs> it was required that I had to send yeah. a check. It couldn't be digital. And, yeah. uh, it, you know, it's, I, I, uh, I almost had to, you know, it's like blowing dust off of the checkbook that's sitting there, mm -hmm. but yeah, we're, things are changing and quickly. Yeah, this is interesting. I think uh, what I can understand for many people worries that it's just changing so fast that it doesn't give much time to adapt for people uh, to the new environment and whether it comes to education system, uh, the companies also need to adapt, right? Like uh, especially big companies are maybe a little bit slower than smaller companies. And the fear is that it's happening too fast. And I would agree with that. At the Th same that's time, a, that's yeah. another thing that was similar to with the cloud change. And, and when you move to the, like the, the, you know, the SaaS model for, for technology, um, you know, it's evergreen technology, meaning it's, it's constantly being updated. And one of the constant complaints is that it's too much it's too fast. We can't keep up, you mm -hmm. know, with those things, but and I would like to say that people are adapting and adjusting, but I don't think people have completely yet. But what I would say is that with, I, I agree that it's changing rapidly, but a lot of organizations have already been trying to prepare for the changes because of evergreen software. And they're, they're so they're not as stunned by caught off guard by the rapid change around AI. I don't know if you agree with that. That's that's yeah. my observation. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. I mean, in in many many cases, uh, it's 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 incredible how quickly human mind can adapt to new things, especially if if you don't have other choice, you will do things that you would not imagine even it's possible. I mean, in, in my company, sometimes I hear. My managers saying, "Hey, this is impossible. We can't do that within this time, or uh, or where whether the task is even possible or not." But if if say, "Hey, uh, this is what we have to do. There's no other choice. Let's just try to do that," then magically, in many many cases, it just happens. Yeah. <laughs> People yeah. just find ways. It's incredible how creative our minds are to find solutions, even in the situations where initially even us will think it's impossible. Uh, I sometimes like to compare it with chess. I, I love chess. I, I play chess a lot, especially when I was young. Sometimes you have this situation that you think it's impossible, you're lost, you know? And uh, in any situation, sometimes there, there are steps you can do to get out of it. Mm-hmm that you would never even think possible. Yeah. And you there's always a way to get out of the very difficult situation sometimes. I um, think that um I, I love this this uh, perspective because I think that uh you know it seems counterintuitive that so much creativity uh is unlocked when constraints are, are, are placed upon something. And, and here's a great example of this. I know that uh, most people experience uh, pretty regularly writer's block. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's difficult for people to go in there. And, and uh, I, you know, one of my favorite classes at university was I did a comparative literature class 
and was, and I've written a lot, uh, you know, more, more mm. than normal humans. Um, I, cause I love, love the writing process, but it was a valuable lesson. I learned from this, this teacher in this comparative literature course, where I was talking about having writer block around writing a paper on some, mm. uh, an author. Um, and, and she said, um, create an outline. You have like the, uh, as in, at the beginning of the outline is you have the constraints of, I'm paraphrasing the constraints of what's required for the homework. So, you know, the mm -hmm. rules, here's what's required in this paper. Um, you have, so out is create an outline, a highest of high level outlines of what needs to be in the structure of the paper and then go and expand. Okay. in the first one of around the, uh, I'll rem remember the author, the poet, it was a theater, theater uh, wrote key. And the, the poem is one of my favorites called the root seller. Absolutely love it. If you've not, read that poem mm. short it's just so visual fantastic but anyway was to like a a, a standard structure of uh uh you know background of the author you know uh, any details around uh uh the the poem itself talk about your know, kind of inspirations what came from that so as i went and i just kept doing revision and revision and expanding the uh the the outline I found that I had almost written the paper just in adding detail to the outline. So that was a process that unlocked the creativity by going through the, the, the structure, know the constraints, know the pieces that are in there that then unlocks it. Sorry. I'm just uh, storytelling on, on that, that That's idea. Great. But I think that is a, a lot of innovation comes through. It's, it's, it's also why so much innovation is iterative if you look at patent, the patent process, so much innovation comes like you create a patent on something. I go in and I look and I see your patent, but then I find a novel approach that adds on to yours. It relies mm -hmm. on uh, or works around something that maybe you didn't see in, in, in your patent. But a lot of that innovation is unlocked because of others, which is one of the reasons why I'm such a big fan of collaboration technology and collaboration in the broader sense because we are able to do collectively so much more and learn so much more quickly than we can do on our own. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, sometimes it's so simple, but uh, not many people really think about us. The simplest things uh, we, we have built uh, and how we developed as a human civilization was just because we managed to work collaboratively and transfer the knowledge across generations. Uh, that's the only simple single thing that helped us to go to this level. And the most sophisticated things, of course, can be obvious, but even the simplest things, if it was not collaborative, for example, we see a smart animal, let's say uh, a bird managed to do some smart things to get their uh, prey out of their uh, the of their house, right? Like mm -hmm. where, where they live. If they would manage to transfer this knowledge over the span of hundreds of years or millions of years, they'll of course get smarter and smarter to get to the level of us or even even more if if their transition of learn was was faster. But none of the animals managed to do that except us. <laughs> so it's it's cool cool to see how that collaboration and transfer of knowledge way you described really brought us to the levels that we we are right now you've got i've got a title for an article on that topic it could be like uh um 
you know, velociraptor tips for modern gardening, for example. Oh, well. (laughs) (laughs) If they had, if they had learned from that. Well, uh, yeah, I, I think it's going back to your point too. I think, you know, human nature is such when, when we understand, when humans understand how we're being measured, we'll adjust uh, uh, our, our methods, our actions to optimize against that, that metric. So similarly, that's why, again, I, I, I go back to saying that creativity flourishes when there is structure around it. Um, mm-hmm. because you understand the constraints were not then, uh, uh, I'm going to use the word again, constrained by, um, you know, there being so many options there's, I was ex- explaining somebody, uh, uh so it was, 23 years ago, I worked with my first uh, user experience development vendor. So they, we brought them in to help design the user interface for this product that we were building, uh, collaboration mm-hmm. platforms actually called Collaboration Manager. Uh, and sitting there and talking to them, uh, you know, going through that experience of designing the UI. Um, and it was just fascinating to, uh, uh, to, to sit and talk with them about what they'd seen and the research that had been done around mm-hmm. the fact that when you present a user with too many options, how it actually reduces the number of selections made. Mm-hmm. Meaning that if people are too confused, if you have too many buttons on a screen, they're more apt to not press any buttons it's just like your marketers understand this too many calls to actions too many clicks too many links it actually decreases you know the conversion rate overall give fewer options simplify that um and uh yeah anyway sorry i there's it's easy to go sideways on this this topic and talk about because there's a lot of great material around the 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 space but it, it all comes down to uh, I again, I go back to that the enterprise experience of needing to spend more time thinking about understanding the training of your data, what that actually looks like, what you're capturing, what you're missing to give the output the uh, the experience, the employee experience that you're looking to build. We just need to be much more thoughtful about that process with the future of AI. Absolutely, absolutely, and of course, AI will further accelerate that and change that the way the way it is right now. So, yep, uh, it's very exciting times we're living in right now. Well, it is very exciting, and 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 Tigran, I really uh, appreciate your time and joining the podcast today. And for folks that want to find out more, of course, we'll have uh, links over to uh, Super Annotate. You'll find that in the blog post. You'll find that out on the podcast as well. Um, so, it, you know. Any any final words of you know that you'd like to point people like if they want to find out more um, where to go on on your site or or any trials or what's kind of your mm-hmm. offering to people that are want to find out more. Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, if you're building machine learning AI application and and you know you want to scale and uh, just go to superannotate.com and reach us out to the button there called request demo we'll showcase all the platform and the way we can help you to really grow your ai and data infrastructure so please do not hesitate to contact us excellent well thanks so much for your time today tigran thanks thanks Christian. great being with you
You've been listening to the Collab Talk podcast. New episodes are published on most Fridays, and you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and most other podcast platforms. Thanks for listening. Thank you.